ghosts, ghouls, and things that go bump in the night. You know, one of the most exciting things about this show, for me personally, is when I get a follow-up to a story. And I am so, so beyond excited to let you guys know that this week, I have an update to an episode that has been well-received by everyone I've heard from. So, why don't you sit back, relax, and tune in to the follow-up for I Should Have Brought a Bigger Flashlight, Part 2. It's been nearly two months since I stopped at that gas station. I can't get that night out of my head. It's hard to go back to homework and football games after an encounter with a soul-devouring demigod. My friends and family think I'm crazy. I don't even bother bringing it up to them anymore. They don't want to listen. I have to find proof that Methuselah is real. That's why I have a backpack full of flashlights and gear in the passenger seat of my car and a 9mm strapped to my hip. I'm going back to Barrow Mill. I should be in town in about 45 minutes. If it takes me half an hour to hike back to the mill, then I'll be there around 3pm. That'll give me plenty of daylight to scope things out before setting up camp for the night. I've passed that exit four times in the last two months. The first time, I half expected to see the forest burn down, but there wasn't a single charred treetop. The other three times I took the exit ramp and drove to the gas station. I wanted to talk to the old man and to see what else he knew, but the store was always closed. It honestly looked like it hadn't been open in years. I don't know how long I was driving in silence, but I suddenly realized that the radio wasn't playing. I don't remember turning the volume down, but I wasn't paying attention either. It seems like it was gradually phasing out the closer I got. When I reached the exit, there's nothing but my thoughts to fill the air. They were mostly comprised of the horrific deaths that I might meet, but I pushed them aside. I know that it's crazy to go back out there, but it's going to take a little bit of crazy to prove that what I know is real. I don't have a death wish. I just want to understand. If you never venture out into the fringes of what is known, then you'll rarely encounter the unknown. I pull up to the gas station, and it's no surprise to see that it's closed again. I roll up to the front entrance and try to peer through the glass. The lights are off, but I notice something new and unsettling. Three white faces are staring back at me from a laminated poster taped to the door. The headline reads, Missing. Last seen off of Highway 17. They probably parked their car at the top of the trail to Barrow Mill. I doubt they'll find the bodies. As I drive off towards the hidden road with no name, I can't help but think about what happened to those poor kids. Methuselah claimed to eat human souls, but what does that even look like? And what would he do with the bodies? I have nothing but questions at this point. Like, why is he the only one here in the forest? What? draws him to the mill. And does he have boundaries? Hopefully, I'll find out more tonight.
I was expecting the woods to seem less foreboding in the daytime, but they're not. The weather was nice on the way down, but now it's overcast and slightly foggy. It makes me think of Sleepy Hollow. I take my time walking down the path, looking for any sign that Methuselah has been active, but I don't find anything. When the mill comes into view, I knew I must be close to where we last met. After a few minutes, I spot it. Four claw marks where the bark has been ripped away. I take a picture with my phone and move on. It also comes to my attention that there isn't any noticeable damage from the fire. Somehow, it went out that night. Standing next to the creek, I have a full view of the mill, and I snap a few more pictures. There's a little more to it than I could gather in the dark. Three of the moss-covered stone walls remain in fairly good condition, and stand at least 20 feet high. Nearly all the timbers and joists have rotted away, but it looks like there's one thing that escaped the elements. Down next to the river bank is an old wooden door, and behind it is a room. I approach it warily, but the daylight gives me confidence. That, and the pistol, and the flashlight I carry. But still, I know what might be sleeping in there. Upon closer inspection, I can tell that the door is made of heart pine. It's seen better days, but it was built recessed into the stone wall, so it's been somewhat protected over the years. I push with the hand that holds the flashlight, and ready my pistol in the other. The door doesn't move. I hesitate for a moment, and grip my teeth as I bare my shoulder against it and push with my legs. It gives just a little at first, and then suddenly swings open. I stumble and fall into the room, dropping my flashlight in the process. I'm swinging my gun around wildly, and I know that a long dark arm is going to reach out of the darkness and grab me. But it doesn't. I slowly bend down and pick up my light. After scanning the room, I feel a little foolish. There's nothing in here but a dirty floor and cold stone walls. I go to close the door on my way out, and notice that there's a locking mechanism mounted to the back side. It's a simple iron pin that slides horizontally into a hole in the stone frame. Someone must have stayed here a long time ago. I pull the door to and move on to see what else I can find. After walking several hundred yards in every direction, I resign myself to return to the mill. There isn't anything else that stands out. I've decided that the best place to observe and hopefully go unnoticed would be at the top of one of the stone walls. They were about three feet thick and high enough in the air so that if I lay down on top of one, I'll be out of sight. Using the empty window frames and the wide gaps between the stones, I climb the wall that's directly above the wooden door. When I pull myself on top of the wall, I position my backpack behind me and lay against it like a pillow. I've still got about an hour or so of sunlight, so I get my phone out and begin to look for a rabbit hole to fall into for a while. As the sun begins to fade behind the treetops, I put my phone away and prepare myself mentally for a long night. I also decide that I need to order a new phone. This one has started glitching and pressing buttons on its own. A few hours drag by like molasses, and nothing happens. 
faint moonlight offers just enough visibility to see things that are not in the shadows. My only entertainment are the occasional animals that wander by. I've seen a few raccoons, a family of deer, and one rogue possum. The forest is alive and healthy, not like last time. You could hear a pin drop that night. I doze off a few times after midnight, but I'm quickly startled back awake. My body knows this isn't a safe place to sleep. The experience reminds me of when I used to pass out at my desk in high school and wake up in a panic. I'm contemplating getting my phone out again when I hear something that pricks my ears and brings my focus to the moment. Something big is walking through the woods towards the mill. I carefully position myself on my stomach with my eyes towards the trees. My heart rate starts to elevate, but I don't move a muscle. A form starts to take shape. It's bipedal and moving slowly as it emerges from the trees and into the moonlight. Recognition is in my eyes. It's the old man from the gas station. What's he doing here? He doesn't even have a flashlight. He walks towards the mill, but stops about halfway between it and the tree line. He's just standing there, looking in my direction. The wall that's perpendicular to mine is a little taller, and it casts a shadow over me. It's unnerving that he's fixed on my general location, but there's no way he sees me. After staring for a minute, I can make out the trajectory of his gaze. He's not looking at me. He's looking at the door. Half an hour goes by, and he doesn't move. He's waiting for something. It dawns on me that the woods have grown quiet again, but the silence doesn't last for long. The door opens. I slide my phone out of my pocket and attempt to start taking a video of whatever's happening, but it won't work for some reason. My screen is just flickering a dim purple color. I tuck it away before it's spotted. The old man carefully approaches and stops right at the threshold. I'm looking over the edge of the wall straight down at him. He seems to take a deep breath, then steps inside. The door shuts behind him. I don't know how to best describe what I hear next. If the feeling of nervous tingling had a sound, that would be it. There's a heaviness in the air that seems to vibrate at an almost imperceptible cadence. It's quiet for a moment, and then the sound pulses again. I can see a faint glow coming through the cracks between the wood and the stone, but the light source and the strange sound fade away in a matter of seconds. Shortly after that, the door swings open. The old man steps out and walks back the way he came. He's moving more quickly this time and it doesn't take long before he's out of sight. What in the world did I just witness? I glance down at the door again, but I don't see any movement. It's now or never. I grab my backpack and carefully climb down the wall. When my feet touch the ground, I make sure not to step on anything that could give me away. I ease closer to the door that was left ajar, 
and in a swift motion turn the corner and bring my pistol up in one hand and my flashlight in the other. I switch the light on and scan the room. Still nothing. I turn off the light and take a moment to think over my options. Clearly, this old man is up to something. I can stay here and hide until morning, or follow him and see what else I can find out. If the trail goes cold, I'll make my way to my car and leave. There's obviously the chance that I run into Methuselah, but I came prepared this time. My feet make the decision for me. I quicken my pace and walk in the same direction the old man went. Once I'm in the trees, the visibility gets more difficult. I try not to make too much noise, but it's impossible to avoid all the dry leaves. I know that he's in the same boat as me, so I briefly stop every 20 seconds or so to listen for him. He doesn't take the path, he just walks straight into the woods, so I try and build a cognitive map in my head of where the creek and the mill are. Worst case scenario, if I can get back there, I can find my way out. After walking about half a mile, I start to lose hope that I'll track him down. I pause for a moment to gather my bearings and decide on my next move, but in the silence I can faintly hear movement footsteps. There's an unevenness to the gate like he's hurt or carrying something heavy. My heart starts pounding, and the adrenaline heightens my senses as I make my way in his direction. I can tell that I'm gaining on him, but just as I strain my eyes to try and catch a glimpse of the sound, his steps go silent. I stop half a second after he does and listen. He's either walked onto bare ground, or he's standing still too and listening for me. A few minutes pass by with no signs of life, so I decide to push forward. After another hundred yards or so, I pop out on a well-worn trail. I know this place. This isn't good. I look down at the trail and see the moon's reflection off the back window of my forerunner. He knows I'm out here. Time to go. I'm on high alert as I approach my car, but I know it's my best way out. I quickly climb in, lock the doors, check the back seat to make sure it's empty, and crank the ignition. But the engine doesn't make a sound. This just got real. I pop my hood and get out to confirm what I fear. The battery's gone. My mind is in overdrive as I play out scenarios in my head. I can't walk back to the main road using this trail or stay here. It's too obvious, and if he disabled my car, he has bad intentions. I also can't run into the woods because the noise would give me away. I pull out my phone and pray for a signal, but the screen is still flashing purple. This is more than just bad luck. The only thing I can think of is to get the odds back in my favor is to do the thing he'd least expect. I'm going back to the mill to regroup. It's almost like an old fortress. I turn and take a few steps towards the creek, but as I do, I hear the very soft crunching of a twig behind me and to my left. I spin, flip on my flashlight, and take aim. Hunched over and ready to pounce is a massive, twisted beast covered in scars. I instinctively pull the trigger, but my hand is shaking. 
and the bullet hits him in the shoulder. For a brief moment in that concentrated light beam, I can see his flesh begin to smoke and bubble, but he's frighteningly agile as he shifts to take cover behind my car. A small moment of silence passes, and a sinister laugh slithers into my ears. What foolishness is this? The moth escapes the spider just to fly back into the web. I've heard this otherworldly voice play over in my head for two months. It doesn't make it any less terrifying. I just came for the conversation. You know, it's rude to sneak up on people like that. I say this as I start backing towards the creek. I need to put some distance between me and him. He doesn't respond. He's just waiting. I know the light hurts him, but I also saw how fast he moves. I noticed something else. When I shot him, he didn't bleed. He didn't even flinch. I saw the bullet hit his shoulder, but all that was left was a small black hole. My flashlight starts to grow dim. I'm starting to see a trend with electronics out here. I put my useless gun back in the holster and reposition my backpack to hang across my chest. I pull out another flashlight, and just as the first one starts to go out, I flip it on. There are three left in the bag. I hear powerful footsteps running in the opposite direction, and I realize what he's doing. With my car between us blocking the light, he ran far enough back into the darkness so he could duck into the woods. I'll have to keep my head on a swivel. Just when I think it can't get any worse, I feel something small hit the top of my head. A raindrop. I chose this night specifically because there was a 0% chance of rain. This is a disaster. So much for my emergency escape plan. The rain starts to pick up and I continue backing my way down the trail to the creek. I toss the first flashlight back in my bag and grab another one. He's keeping enough of a distance that I can't spot him, but I hear the leaves crunching in short bursts as he darts between the trees. He's moving back and forth in a large half-moon pattern, waiting for me to make a mistake. The rain is making it more difficult for me to hear him. I'm almost jogging backwards now because I know it's only a matter of time before he finds an opening. I need to get to that mill ASAP. My second flashlight starts to flicker, so I swap it out for another. I'm down to my last two lights. I look over my shoulder and I can see the mill. I push the wet hair out of my face, and keeping one flashlight shining behind me and one in front, I turn and start to run. As I do, a deafening raspy howl shakes my eardrums and stands every hair on my neck straight up. He knows where I'm headed, and he doesn't like it. Long strides are gaining on my right, and I try to keep a light on his position. The flashlight I'm aiming in front of me suddenly glows dim and cuts out. I'm twenty paces from the door, and mercifully it was left open. I can see a dark shape curl through the trees and make a beeline straight towards me. The beam catches him, but he drives through the pane, and a smoking, bubbling mass of dark fur and white teeth is barreling towards me, screaming and howling bloody fire. He launches himself at me, but makes a mistake. He goes for the jugular. My high school baseball skills take over as I duck and slide beneath him to the mill, 
just like its home base, I'm mere inches from being sliced open, but I pop up unscathed, slam the door shut, and lock the iron pin. He throws himself at the door and digs his claws into the wood repeatedly. I'm watching it shake and rattle at the beating it's taking as my last flashlight starts to flicker and go out. Suddenly everything goes still. The heavy rhythm of pacing begins outside the wall. I dig into my backpack and pull out the only things I have left. Cigarettes, a lighter, and a small flask full of gasoline. I brought the latter just in case I needed to make a quick fire. Unfortunately, there's nothing to burn in here but the door, and I won't be doing that. If I can just outlast him until sunrise, I can make it through this. The pacing wanders off in one direction until it fades away completely. I'm left in the darkness with nothing but the sound of raindrops. My phone is still acting up, so I have no idea what time it is. I wait for what feels like an hour and put together the only feeble plan I can think of. My backpack and my jacket are soaked, but my pants, shirt, and socks are relatively dry. I take them all off and pile them in front of me. I'm standing in my boxers in the corner of the room closest to the door. If he finds a way in, I'm going to douse my dry clothes in gasoline and light them on fire. At least that'll buy me a few minutes. I sit down, crisscross applesauce, light a cigarette, and wait. After what seems like an eternity, the rain fizzles out, and the sound of a claw slowly scrapes across the door. All is still for a moment, until the voice of death breaks the silence. Do you know how to separate a soul from a body? No. No, I don't, I reply. It starts with physical pain, but the real trick of it is the trauma. Guttural, disbelieving fear at what's happening. It takes a special kind of place and a special kind of talent. I'm going to take you there, Jack. I'll show you. How do you know my name? The same way I know what keeps you up at night. Leave the lights out, and I promise I'll make it quick. You know I'm not going to do that, I reply. Then there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A scratching, earthy sound begins outside. He's digging his way in. It doesn't take him long to make it past the threshold. He'll burst through the door any second. I've been watching the cracks between the wood and the stone, and praying for a sign of daylight. In the past few minutes, it seems that my prayers may have been answered. The cracks of the outside are starting to turn from pitch black to a very light gray. The ground in front of the door starts to move and collapse in on itself. I slowly reach over the shifting soil and unlock the latch to the door, then retreat behind the pile of clothes. I pour the gas on and hold the lighter close. Pale white claws slice through the dirt, but I don't light the flint yet. Two arms burst through the ground and brace themselves, but I still hold off. Black and burned muscles tense as he explodes out of the hole and sends dirt flying in all directions 
I light the clothes and they go up in a quick flame. I grab them and toss a sprawling ball of fire right at him. Snarling and burning, he shields himself with his arms and takes a step back as I dive into the hole and scramble out the other side. I emerge from the tomb like Lazarus and my feet hit the ground running. I glance over my shoulder, but he's not in pursuit. The sun is peeking over the horizon and I know I've survived the night. And that, dear listeners, is all of Jack's update from I Should Have Brought a Bigger Flashlight. Jack, I'm really happy that you made it out again, but I think you might need a new plan if you think you're going to go back and see Methuselah again. We wish you all the best. That's all for this week, my lovely listeners. If you have a story to tell, please send it to me at hauntedhorrorstorian at gmail.com or find me on Facebook at Haunted Horror Story and Podcast. Until next time, stay spooky and remember, sometimes it's more than just a story.